We now turn to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we continue making our way through 1 Corinthians and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. Picking up where we left off last time, we'll be at verse 12. We'll read verses 12 through 19. This is God's holy word again as... He inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Corinth, and so it is inspired by God and therefore inerrant. So we read again God's holy word, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins." Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray indeed that you would bless the reading and the hearing, the exposition of this word. We pray that the preaching of it might be accurate and that we might accurately hear what you have to say so that we would be learning all the more of Christ and glorifying you in all things in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. The last time we saw that Paul established the reality of Christ's resurrection. It was predicted in the Old Testament scriptures It was witnessed by people who knew Jesus, people who knew him and knew he had died, then saw him alive again. That's very clear evidence of the resurrection. Uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles, Paul mentions. He also mentions over 500 other believers of whom most were still alive when Paul wrote this letter, and so the Corinthians could look them up and ask them if they wanted to to see if Paul was just making all this up. These people could attest to the reality of resurrection because they saw Christ resurrected. Even his own brother James, who was hardly likely to have a case of mistaken identity there and and think that somebody else was actually his brother. Lastly, the resurrected Lord appeared to Paul, as he mentions. Yet there are some in Corinth insisting that resurrection is not real. Paul states the problem in verse 12. Now if Christ is is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then he lists, as we go through this passage, six flaws, if you will, in the logic of those who deny resurrection while still professing to be Christians. Hardly surprising that somebody who would dismiss Christianity altogether might also dismiss the idea of resurrection. But there's a, a really weird phenomenon here where, where 
Somebody is saying, no, I'm really a Christian and I don't need to believe in resurrection to be a Christian. I reject the notion of resurrection, but I'm still a Christian. And such people exist even to our own day. But Paul lists six flaws in that logic. Number one, Christ's resurrection would not be real. The whole testimony of why we should believe Christ is who he said he is, why we should follow him, is confirmed by his resurrection. And if resurrection doesn't happen, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead, which means, number two, the gospel would be untrue. Which means, number three, preachers of the gospel are liars. They are false teachers. Because, number four, Christ could not actually be anyone's savior. That's going to be really key here. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he cannot be yours or anyone's savior. And therefore, five, there's no hope for Christians who've died, which means, number six, to be a Christian is to be miserable. It's a waste of time at best to be a Christian if resurrection is not real. So let's start with the problem as Paul states it in verse 12. Again, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you, think about that, how do some among you who said you believed this gospel, which we preached that Jesus was raised from the dead, how do some among you then say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, as we saw last time, the gospel rests on that reality. It rests on the reality that Christ rose from the dead, that he really died and that he really rose from the dead. That Jesus rose from the dead is the primary evidence that he can be believed, that he can be trusted as Savior. And in fact, without it, as we'll see, he can't be Savior. The witness of the resurrection was the testimony of, on which the call to repent and have faith in Jesus was built. Think about it. This is one of the earlier letters of the New Testament. Paul had by this time written Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. There was no New Testament that somebody could hand somebody. There were no Gospels written yet that missionaries like Paul and Barnabas were going around. They couldn't hand them a gospel according to John and tell people, here, read this and you'll learn what the gospel's all about. No, is their testimony, hey, there's this person who died and rose again from the dead and that proves that he's exactly who he said he is, that he can be your savior. It was the witness of the resurrection that the gospel was founded on, that was the primary evidence the gospel should be believed. So, The professing Christians at Corinth must have acknowledged Christ's resurrection in some way, even though some of them now are saying, no, resurrection isn't real. It's clear from this passage that some were rejecting the idea at least that believers would be resurrected at Christ's return. In fact, they probably think that Christ's resurrection was not a real bodily resurrection. Some Gentiles in the congregation may have been influenced by certain Greek philosophers of the era who believed that all matter was evil. So the whole physical universe is evil. And so they may have rejected the notion of a real bodily resurrection for Jesus, even as we see John deals with later, people rejected that Jesus had a real flesh and blood body because 
wouldn't that make it evil? But they certainly rejected, apparently, the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the necessity of bodily resurrection for anyone else because they would think that the goal is not to be resurrected into another physical body. If matter is evil, you want to escape it. You want to be pure spirit. So they may have rejected the notion of a real bodily resurrection because they rejected the notion that matter could be good, that God created all things and called them good. They may have thought of it as a spiritual resurrection. Maybe they thought Jesus' resurrection was just purely a spiritual resurrection. Likewise, some Jews in the congregation may have been influenced by the Sadducees who rejected the notion of resurrection. Perhaps they too thought of resurrection as only spiritual. That it was kind of a symbolic language. The Gnostics would later make such claims and we have such people professing to be Christians to this day while rejecting the reality of an actual bodily resurrection of Jesus or of any expectation of bodily resurrection for anyone else. In 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, Paul writes of Hymenaeus and Philetus who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. So they're saying that this has happened in the past somehow. And most likely what they were saying was the resurrection was a symbolic or a spiritual thing. From this and early church fathers, we see that that many had confused the reality of the spiritual resurrection, which does happen at the new birth, at the time of someone's regeneration, and the bodily resurrection that is to come. Saying, well, we've already been resurrected, so the promises of resurrection are already fulfilled. Uh, Paul speaks in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, for example, of Christians having formerly been dead in trespasses and sins, but now have been made alive by God. So that's a form of resurrection, right? Symbolically speaking, spiritually speaking, is what Revelation calls the first resurrection. But that in no way negates the reality of the coming bodily resurrection of the dead, which was predicted in the Old Testament. We read from from Daniel 12 this morning and is predicted in the New Testament as well. In the rest of this passage, Paul lays out six problems, six flaws with this altered view of what resurrection is. So number one, if real bodily resurrection does not occur, then we also have to say Jesus didn't rise from the dead too. Christ's resurrection would not be real. And that's a problem if you're saying you're a Christian because your Christianity, your faith is based on the notion that Jesus fulfilled what God predicted, that he proved that he was the Savior through his resurrection. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. In verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. But Paul just established in the previous passage that There were many witnesses to Christ's resurrection. He really was risen. Moreover, we clearly see this this was a real, physical, bodily resurrection and not merely a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't an illusion. It wasn't a mass hallucination. It wasn't a mere psychological experience of Jesus' disciples. It was a real, physical, bodily resurrection. He was really raised 
He was actually there alive in body. And he continues to be alive bodily to this day. In his human nature, Jesus has a human body. And it's alive. In Luke 24, we read that the disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection, and they thought what these people apparently are thinking was really going on. They first thought he was a mere spirit. He was a ghost. They were afraid. But Jesus proved he was really physically there. He let them touch him. He even ate in front of them. Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. Luke testifies here, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they still did not believe for joy, so notice before they, they didn't believe because of doubts the resurrection could be real, now it's more of a, can this really be real? Am I dreaming somebody pinch me kind of thing? Now they can't believe for joy. Not the same kind of unbelief here. While they did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. A mere spirit can't eat. Something that isn't physical can't physically consume food. So John would later write in 1 John 1.1 1, 1, that he and the apostles declared that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. They touched the resurrected Jesus. If bodily resurrection is not real, then we have to reject all of that testimony. Christ's resurrection is not real. Which would mean, number two, the gospel would be untrue. We saw last time that the gospel rests on the reality of Christ's resurrection. Here Paul writes in verse 14, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Empty. In vain. You can also translate that word as worthless. Our preaching is worthless, and your faith is worthless. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead. We're justified, we're counted righteous by God in His sight, by His grace alone, working through faith alone in Christ alone. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, you have no reason to place faith in Him. There is no reason to believe in Him. Numerous times He predicted His own resurrection. I will lay down my life for my sheep. And I will take it up again. The Son of Man must be delivered up and die, and on the third day he will be raised. He said things like that numerous times. If it didn't happen, Jesus is a false prophet, and you have no business believing in him. Psalm 1610 predicted 
that God would not let his Holy One see corruption. He would not let him decay. If Jesus remained dead, his body decayed. If so, then he can't be the Lord's Holy One. But as Paul says in Romans 1.4, and I think I put 1.3 in your uh, outlines in the sermon notes, so it should be 1.4. Jesus was demonstrated to be who he claimed to be by the very fact of his resurrection, Paul says in Romans 1.4. He says Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. If that did not happen, then the gospel is untrue. And therefore, number three, preachers of the gospel would be false teachers. Everyone preaching the gospel would be sharing a false message. Verses 15 and 16. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Preachers of the gospel proclaim that God raised Jesus from the dead. If that's not true, they're teaching a false message. If that did not happen, then preachers of the gospel are lying about God. Especially the ones who said, I saw him risen. You know, I could be fooled and think that I'm telling the truth. But Paul and Peter and all the other apostles, all the other witnesses to the resurrection going around saying, I saw him risen. If it didn't really happen, they're lying. If that did not happen, preachers of the gospel are liars. And they're lying about God, which is terribly serious. Far more serious than lying about other things. If resurrection is not real, gospel preachers are false teachers. Because, number four, Christ could not be anyone's savior. Not only would they be testifying falsely about what happened to Christ they would be testifying falsely about his being their savior or anyone else's. If resurrection isn't real, Christ could not be anyone's savior. Verse 17, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Romans 4.25 says, Christ was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because or for our justification. If Jesus did not rise we have no reason to believe that God accepted his sacrifice. We're still in our sins, putting our faith in a man who did not save us because he couldn't be the Holy One of God. Psalm 16.10 says he's the Holy One of God. And if he's not the Holy One of God, then the Holy One of God could not be held by death, according to Psalm 16. If Jesus was held by death, then he can't be the Holy One of God, which means he must have his own sins, and he can't therefore substitute for you for your sins. If Jesus remained dead, he's not God's Holy One. But in Acts 2, 23 and 24, Peter says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Why? Because he's the Holy One of God. If that didn't happen, he's not God's Holy One, and therefore he's no one's Savior. 
If Christ could not be anyone's savior, then number five, there is no hope for Christians who've died. It's not just a question of saying, well, we're just rejecting resurrection. We all die and our spirits go to heaven and we're with God and so then that not that glorious and wonderful? No. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then your spirit can't go to heaven either. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This in no way contradicts what Paul says. It's not saying that, that, uh, that we don't exist in the Spirit after we die. In no way contradicts what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, that to be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. But when believers die... They go directly in spirits to the glorious presence of God. But that's only because Jesus was God's Holy One and died in their place. When Christ returns, they'll be raised up bodily, spirit and body reunited in an everlasting glorified state. Both of those conditions rest on the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. If Christ did not rise, then believers who have died are still in their sins. They've been condemned for them. And they've gone to hell. They've gone in spirit to hell. And they won't even rise up for final judgment day. They're just where they're going to be forever now. If resurrection isn't real, they can never attain an eternal glorified state, nor can you or I. As Simon Kistemacher wrote, If a person denies the resurrection, Paul informs his readers, the logical implication is that those who have died in Christ are lost. If Christ has not risen from the dead, then God condemns people to everlasting punishment because of their sins. They never enter heaven to be in God's presence. At last, their bodies remain forever in the grave. Cut off from the living God, they have perished. If the Corinthians who deny the resurrection doctrine say that those who have died are with Jesus then they contradict themselves. A denial of the resurrection would mean that all have perished, including Jesus. If resurrection is not real, then there is no hope for Christians who have died. And therefore, number six, to be a Christian is to be miserable. As I said, at best it's a waste of time, but actually it's it's worse than that. We're to be pitied. Paul says, verse 19... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That last phrase, of all men the most pitiable, is more literally, more miserable of all mankind. We are more miserable, excuse me, of all mankind. Most to be pitied. There are certain temporal blessings God gives to those who are in Christ. But again, that's based on the accomplished work of Christ. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then he didn't accomplish anything for anyone else. He wasn't God's holy one. But in this life, we do get some blessings for our faith and for our faithfulness. But along with them come persecutions, hardships. Think of all the things Paul went through. Why would he waste his time if there's no hope? Mistreatment, hatred from the world because the world is against Christ. Who would sign up for that club if there's no glory to come? Furthermore, if we have hope in Christ, 
and he is not risen, we're hoping in a false Savior. That's not a reason for joy. It's a reason for misery. At best, we should be pitied as stupid fools. We should not be looked upon as blessed. There was a band that I listened to who has a song about people who think they can change people's mind by being internet trolls. You know, you're never going to change the world by being a jerk online, right? You know, uh, the title of the song is "Yours Is an Empty Hope." <laughs> if you you hope to change people by being a jerk online, well, then yours is an empty hope. Is basically the, the the message of the song. Similarly, if you have no hope in a world to come, and you're expecting blessings here and now because of a savior who can't be your savior because he didn't rise from the dead. If your hope rests on a Savior who didn't actually rise and can't actually be God's Holy One, then ours is an empty hope. And we are of all mankind the most miserable, the most to be pitied. But Paul says in verse 20, as we'll see next time, Christ is risen and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he rose from the dead and so will all of his people. There is hope. This is not a vain hope. It's not an empty hope. Our faith is not vain or empty. It is in a Savior who did rise. Jesus did rise from the dead. He really, truly, bodily, physically rose from the dead. And he is the first of many, Paul says, who will also rise to such a glorified and everlasting life. Romans 8.29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might, might be the firstborn of many brethren. The actual bodily resurrection of Christ is real. And Paul gave us all of the testimony of those who saw it, or the evidence of, of, the, of those who saw it last time. It's a historical fact. And thus, resurrection itself must be real. If Jesus rose from the dead, then rising from the dead happens. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive bodily to this day. To deny that is actually to deny the very gospel. It's to accuse preachers of the gospel of being false teachers. It's to deny that Jesus could be anyone's savior, and it would leave Christians then without hope and miserable. But Jesus is risen. Resurrection is real. The gospel is true. Those who preach the gospel therefore speak God's truth, Christ is the Savior of His people. And all who trust in Him have hope, a real hope, an eager expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. They're not miserable, but they're joyful and have every reason to be. So believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe in the risen Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that resurrection is real that Jesus did rise from the dead, that he is alive to this day, that we have so many other things we will be learning about resurrection in the weeks to come as we go forward with 1 Corinthians 15. Grant that we may joyfully walk in the power of Christ's resurrection, in newness of life now and in the hope of a real bodily resurrection for ourselves to come. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.